What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid I... They knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. WCW and quite frankly I didn't know if I was going to come back and the reason I didn't know I was going to come back or not is because from day one that I've been in WCW I've done nothing nothing but deal with the bullshit of the politics behind that curtain the fact of the matter is I've got a wife I've got three kids at home and I really don't need this shit. But let me tell you the reason why I did come back. I came back for every one of the guys in that locker room that week in, week out, bust their ass for WCW. I came back for the Booker T's. I came back for every single guy in MIA. I came back for the animals. I came back for Jared. I came back to the guys behind that curtain that give a shit about this company. And let me tell you who doesn't give a shit about this company. That goddamn politician Hulk Hogan. Because let me tell you people what happened out here in this ring tonight. All day long I'm playing politics with Hulk Hogan. Because Hulk Hogan tonight wants to play his creative control card. And to Hulk Hogan, that meant that tonight in the middle of this ring, when he knew it was bullshit, he beats Jeff Jarrett. Hogan got his wish. Hogan got his belt and he went the hell home. And I promise everybody or else I'll go in the goddamn grave. You will never see that piece of shit again. So Hulk Hogan 
now has the WCW belt. And Hulk, let's refer to that as the Hulk Hogan Memorial Belt because from here on in, that belt don't mean shit. There will be a new WCW belt. And as far as I'm concerned, that belt still belongs to the one guy that busts his ass week in and week out in the middle of this ring. And you people can love him and hate him, but he doesn't screw anybody back there, and that's Jeff Jarrett. So tonight in this ring, for the WCW title, two deserving guys, Jarrett and Booker, will compete for the WCW, and they'll tear this goddamn out now. And Hogan, you big, bald son of a bitch, kiss my ass! This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you were listening to episode number 323 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, brought to you today empowered by our TMPT Con 2. This coming May 19th in Richmond, Virginia, join John, myself, the franchise Shane Douglas, and Eric Bischoff as we invade Richmond, Virginia for a day's worth of wrestling autographs, wrestling pictures, wrestling merchandise, and one hell of a wrestling convention all coming your way May 19th. You can head on over to tmptofwrestling.com for more information or head on over to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash tmptofwrestling for more information and so much more to come in the coming weeks as on-sale dates and more guests will be announced for TMPTCon 2. So get on over to our pages today and support the movement that we are trying to get going here in Richmond on May 19th. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined here for three years on the two-man power trip of wrestling by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, I got to scratch my my head here. I got to pinch myself as our guest for the three-year spectacular is a guest that is a huge, huge three years in the making as Vince Russo joins today's program and you'd think with Vince Russo on the show that it's got to be a monumental episode like a third year anniversary someone like Vince Russo who what can you say about him that hasn't been said by everybody in the wrestling business already Vince Russo is a guy that whether you love him or you hate him you listen to him because whatever he says resonates with you as a wrestling fan or as a wrestler or as an outsider looking in Something about Vince Russo brings you back every time he opens his mouth, and we are so pumped to have him join us today for this third year anniversary, and uh, you've heard his name mentioned on our show a million times. If you're a diehard fan, you know the reputation Vince Russo has, and this episode, this interview, this 90-minute interview, I have a feeling is going to turn a lot of people, if you're a naysayer, into a supporter of Vince Russo. This is a a very eye-opening interview. It's a fun interview. It's a different interview, I think, than you've ever heard from from Vince Russo. And you hear him say many times how great of a place he's in in his life. And as a wrestling fan, you will be able to enjoy that and you'll be able to get behind it because Vince Russo leaves everything on the table today as he joins John and myself. And as we look back at three years, and we've done this every time we've had some kind of milestone episode, whether it's 100 or 200 or 300 episodes or the one-year or two-year anniversary episode, if you have some time, if you're on a long car ride, if you're looking for something to do, 
go back in our, our archive and just check out some of the names that we've had on. If you're new to the show and you hear us talk about people in our plugs or you hear us mention something in an interview, go back and look for some key interviews that I just I pulled off the top of my head, ones that I go to or I think about as some of my favorites like Jacques Rougeau or Don Morocco or Jesse the Body Ventura or one of our two or three Kevin Thorne episodes, Jerry McDivitt, the couple we've had with Jim Cornette, the couple we've had with Jim Ross, Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Dean Ambrose, Glenn Jacobs, China, Bruce Pritchard, Tom Pritchard, Ivan Putsky. The list goes on and on, folks. And for three years, we're bringing you every single week new content, new episodes, new interviews, and the train just keeps rolling with each passing week. And you never know who's going to end up on the other end of the line here with the two-man power trip of wrestling. But hey, we're just fans. We're just two guys that happen to fall into something pretty damn good. And as we do appearances and we do shows and we've gotten to meet a lot of great people in the business, this episode today with Vince Russo, I think, is going to really open up a lot of eyes, not just from the content perspective, but from the fact that you should never, ever judge a book by its cover. Now, John, as I welcome you in here now, I know you're a huge Vince Russo fan, dating back to your insane WCW fandom. So give us a couple of the highlights that we have to look forward to, as well as a few words about this three-year spectacular. And as Mike Tanay said in one of his returns, in one of the re-debuts in TNA, oh shit, it's Vince Russo today on the show. And John, hit us with a little information about this great episode with the one and only Vince Russo. Yes, Chad, the two-man power trip is back after a big holiday weekend or two, and we're back here better than ever with our third anniversary show. Believe it or not, it is our three-year Annie. Can't believe that. Absolutely crazy to think about where we started and where we are right now, and it's pretty crazy to think that we finally get on the Batman himself, the former WCW World Champion, Vince Russo, on the show. And of course, I say we have to mention that he's a former WCW World Champion because he says that at the top of the interview. But you know, besides that, and we do obviously we get into WCW and that whole title run and all that fun stuff we do of course talk about everything that he's up to today with Aralucha, with rocky mountain crow with his podcast with the brand everything that he's doing in the world of vince russo it's amazing that to think we've been around three years and it's our first time getting vince on and he's a real lightning rod he's a real strong force in the wrestling business whether you like him or not everyone knows his name everyone knows who he is and Vince Russo equals ratings. So it's always great to get him on for the third year anniversary. Not only because it's great to get on a guy of his stature and somebody that's been a, a longtime writer during the biggest periods in wrestling. But also, you know, to give a little boost to the show and give a little bit of a rating power. So that is awesome when you be able to get a, a, a double dose there of, of ratings and an awesome guest. So it's pretty cool to get him on for the third year anniversary obviously we wanted a big guest and we got it and we delivered that but we also wanted somebody that we can really talk about the wrestling business with whether it be the attitude error whether it be when he was starting out and it was kind of developing into the attitude error almost going from the the new generation kind of 
breaking off, getting a little bit more adult-oriented, and then eventually hitting it off with the Attitude Era. Then, of course, talking about WCW, TNA, and everything in between. It's just quite a trip down memory lane. We do talk about his time with Ed Ferrara and what those writing meetings with Vince McMahon were all about. That was something that I was really, really interested in, kind of getting behind-the-scenes look, behind the door, and really talk about what it was like with Vince McMahon and what were those writings meeting like with Ed and obviously we've had Ed on before and we're talking about it but it's always great to get a different point of view and talk to Vince Russo about it considering he was the head writer for there for a quite a period of time now in the WWF there were so many different stars that, that came out whether it be a Stone Cold Steve Austin whether it be The Rock whether it be a, a Val Venus or a Goldust and it's great to talk to Vince about you know the development of those characters really kind of the the collaboration between the wrestlers and the writers and really how those guys became what they became and it's awesome to hear that they were kind of you know more friends with them rather than guys that were just quote-unquote marks for the wrestlers so it's great that they were equals and, and that they were looked at that way and they were looked at as peers because he tells a great story about how a current uh, head writer in WWE right now follows around Alexa Bliss, you know, quote unquote, like a mark. So I mean, that is <laughs> that is pretty funny and pretty crazy, and I 100% believe that, and and it's kind of sad in a way, but it's great if you look back at a guy like Steve Austin or The Rock, and and you look at Vince, and and they see him as a peer, and they're talking to him about what they can collaborate, what they create as far as writing and putting together a show and adding to the character and really developing that character. So really great stuff and really get some good behind-the-scenes writing tips and everything else from Vince. And, of course, we do talk a lot about current wrestling as well. Some of his analogies were just spot-on, and a lot of the stuff that he did say about current wrestling we'd agreed with 100%. And I know, Chad, off-air, we said after it was over, like, wow, that was such a phenomenal interview, such a great interview. Vince is great. Um... You know, it, it's obviously people are going to have their opinion about him one way or other, but it is great to get such an honest opinion. And we agreed with him on so many things about what he said about Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose and Sasha Banks. We actually said it to each other, and then him to say it was like, boom, hit the nail right on the head. So that's some great stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some current wrestling, some old school wrestling, some attitude error stuff, and a lot of behind the scenes writing stuff from Vince Russo. So, like I said, you're going to really enjoy this one. And thank you for being a part of all of our three years as it is our big time third anniversary show. And we are honored to be able to just keep adding on our platforms, Podomatic to Spotify to iHeartRadio to Google Play. I mean, just obviously iTunes, it just keeps going on and on. So it's great. So like I said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the third anniversary show with Vince Russo. Absolutely. And again, well said here for three years. Very hard to believe, but Vince Russo, the absolutely perfect guest for a three-year spectacular. And again, the greatest of thanks to Vince Russo for taking the time that he did. It's definitely a guest that if you've heard our shows over these past three years, I can honestly tell you I didn't know if we'd ever get him on. I am so thrilled at the uh, developments that came throughout the interview. And hopefully as it rolls out into the future, Maybe we'll have Vince Russo back on again and we could talk about so much more. And please support the brand. The brand is an absolutely unique podcasting platform. Uh, I've told this to John many, many times. And since we've had Vince on, I've gone back and listened in the archive. But his podcast, Castrating the Marks, could be one of the best podcasts that is going today. And I'm not just talking about wrestling. 
but just in podcasting in general, it's funny, it's entertaining, and do they take a look inside the world of wrestling journalists and wrestling? I mean, it is just, from a guy like Vince Russo who's taken so much criticism over the years, this is like the, the big F you back uh, in the form of a weekly podcast. And again, if you haven't checked it out on the brand, you can sign up for the brand right now. You can go over to YouTube. You can check out some older episodes via the YouTube channel. But please support Vince Russo. And again, if you've been a naysayer in the past, if it's something that you know, you know, oh, I don't like Vince Russo because of this guy, I honestly can tell you this interview could help sway you in the other direction. And I hope it did the job of doing that because... I, again, I'm floored by it. It is an absolutely phenomenal chat, and it's fitting for a three-year anniversary, to say the least. But before we wrap it up here, before we get it over to the interview, just want to thank a couple key people who, over this three years, have supported us in such, such great ways. And I got to just take a few seconds here. I want to thank Mike Gray of That Wrestling Club for being with us for so many episodes and for being a part of a lot of our appearances that we've done over the last two years of the three years. Uh, I want to thank Devin Hannibal Nicholson of the GNW Podcast and, of course, Greater North Wrestling. If you go on YouTube, you've seen one of Hannibal's shoot interviews that he's done. He's been amassing quite the library of shoot interview guests and is one of the better interviewers because, just like John and I, this guy was actually a fan. He knows what he's talking about. So check out Devin Nicholson and GNW. I want to thank the entire Book in the Territory podcast for talking about a couple of our shows on some of their episodes and getting some real love out there for the two-man power trip. I got to thank our man, Randy Helms. You can listen to his podcast, which is also on Podomatic. It's called Outcher on My Hair. It is a 80s rock, 80s metal and I guess some people may say it's a derogatory term, but a hair metal podcast. And Randy is one of the most knowledgeable, uh, not just wrestling fans, but also heavy metal and music guys you're ever going to find. I got to thank Chris Buckby from the Rock and Wrestling Local 420 on Podomatic. He also has said some very amazing things about John and myself helping get him onto Podomatic for a platform to promote his own podcast and thanking John and I for kind of being a part of the inspiration for that. So I want to just extend a big thanks to Chris for his support. And then, of course, I got to thank Eric Bischoff and our inclusion on the IRW Network. It helped launch the Triple Threat Podcast. And, of course, you hear that now once a week on the iTunes platform here also on Podomatic and iHeartRadio and Spotify and Google Play and Podbean and all these great places that we are now. And this is a, a kind of wink to my partner. We got to update some of that two-man power trip of wrestling business in the coming weeks because we are expanding without a doubt. And our third guy, the co-host on the Triple Threat Podcast, the franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, we got to thank you very much as well. The past 30 weeks on the Triple Threat Podcast have been unreal. And to think it all started with a two-and-a-half-hour interview back in our archives that you can go check out at your leisure, of course. So celebrate three years with us today with Vince Russo and John as the music starts to creep in in this huge 2018 that we've got upon us. Hit us with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Vinny Rue himself, Vince Russo. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. 
Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Buff Bagwell, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And if you're on Android, please check us out on Google Play or Player FM. And now, without any further ado, he was a booker, a writer, an author, a host, a podcaster. You may formerly know him as Vic Venom, the Batman, or the powers that be. He is a former WCW World Heavyweight Champion. He is the Lightning Rod. He is Vince Russo. Please enjoy. Trying to, you know, be nicey-nice. That was a very nice intro. But how do you not intro me as a former WCW world champion? <laughs> I got to say, I appreciate it. I mean, all those it, other things are nice. That is. You know, pod, I mean, come on, bro. Podcaster, author, uh, you, know, uh, you know, all those things are very nice. But, I mean, let's face it. I was WCW world champion for three days. 
that's where the everything in the business uh, is encompassed with uh, you know throwing that in there. But yes, a former WCW champion, Vinny Rue himself. Thank you, Vince Rue. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you very much. Bro, oh, you know ab- I did, and and also to clarify that off the bat, you know I did put that belt on myself for three days because uh, I was a total mark. Uh, and I grew up as a kid with a hope and dream of one day uh, being the WCW World Champion for uh, three days. So I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I just wanted to verify that story. Uh, you know that 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 has been said. That is absolutely true, bro. I did it because I was a total mark for myself and a total mark for the title. All right, go ahead, bro. It's your interview. All right, absolutely. And it is on the run sheet, so I will throw that on there. I just like to put my own spin on the, uh, the introductions, and I've gotten, uh, I've gotten a lot of nice comments uh, over the last three years on the intro, so I apologize for that, uh, that accomplishment. I guess if I had Vince McMahon on, I could call him a former WWE champion as well, so there we go. There you go, bro, absolutely. So... With this three-year anniversary, and obviously you're no stranger to the podcast world, you've got your own brand, the brand. You're a part of the Realm Network. You're on Podcast One. Uh, when the podcasting platform really started to take off, obviously somebody like you needs to be involved. So as you've embarked on a few years now into the podcast world, how do you feel about being uh, entrenched in a lot of the craziness, almost as political as some of the backstages that I know you spent a lot of time in? Bro, you, you want me to be perfectly honest with you? I, my, my whole life, I, I mean, bro, bro I, I, I never wanted to get into wrestling. I, I mean, I, I was a wrestling fan, bro, like I was a baseball fan, you know, or a Kiss fan. You know, it, it was on the list of, of, of things that I, I enjoyed, but I wasn't a wrestling mark. I never, you know, had a dream and a goal of getting in the wrestling business, what I really wanted to do, bro, was I wanted to get into radio. And, and bro, I'm, I'm 56, and I'm still trying to get into radio because I, lo- I love it. I, I love radio. You know, Howard Stern is, is, is my idol and mentor. That's what I wanted to do. So when I got the opportunity to podcast, bro, I love it. I, I love to go on there. You know, I got my nice little setup in my basement at home. No bosses, no politics, no BS. I could say anything I want. I don't pull any punches. But I swear to you, bro, and I mean this as an absolute shoot, the, the, the only real negative aspect of podcasting, it, it isn't what the people say, and it isn't the keyboard warriors, and I, I could give a crap about those people. The worst part about podcasting, bro, and I mean this, as an absolute shoot, is having to sit there and watch Raw and SmackDown every single week. And, and, and I sincerely mean that, bro. I'm not saying that for a pop or a laugh. Bro, I, I, I hate that. I, I hate that part of it. And, and you know, I, I go out there. I speak my mind about the show. I'm, I'm not looking to be re, rehired by them. I'm not afraid to burn any freaking bridge. As a television viewer, you know, if the show sucks, I'm going to tell you the show sucks. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a movie. I don't care what it is. And to have to put myself through 
five hours of Raw and SmackDown because I don't have any choice. It, it's what I do for a living. Oh, my God, bro. It, it, I, I was so pissed off after Raw last night for, for, for them making me sit through that piece of crap for three hours. It, 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 it's the only negative aspect of podcasting. And that was actually going to be my next thing that I was going to say to you because I give you all the credit in the world. Because I personally, I mean, I, myself, John, we don't talk about any current things going on in the wrestling world unless we have somebody who's relevant to the current wrestling landscape. So the fact that you have to sit there and you watch it, i got to give you all the credit in the world. I've said it to other people before. You deserve some kind of medal for sitting through that stuff because it is so oh. bad that – I, I really don't know how you can do it. And, bro, and let me tell these people, every, you know, and, then, and then, bro, and then I'm being honest about the show, and, you know, bro, I get the responses, oh, you're, you're bitter because you're not working there. Bro, give me a break. Let, let me break the news to everybody, bro. And, and I would never say who because I would never, never want to bury anybody. I would never want to cost them their job. But, bro, I swear to you, my, my right hand to God, after Raw on Monday night, I have certain people from the roster who were on the show who I never met. Bro, I never met. We've, we've formed relationships, you know, through, you know, through Twitter and third parties and stuff like that. I have them call me after the show telling me how freaking miserable the show is and how miserable the experiences, people in the freaking locker room. So, so, so then, bro, you, you get those WWE marks who have the goal and audacity to tell me I'm being bitter because that show is the absolute it, – bro, it, it is far and away the worst show on television. I, I don't watch anything during the week, and I watch a lot of TV, bro. I don't watch anything during the week that comes close to being as bad as that show. I, I can't believe we're even saying that. Uh, even, I'm not even going to hold it up to 20 years ago. That goes without saying. But even 10 years ago or 8 years ago, I mean, it is just it's become must-miss television. And if you have a DVR, and I know John's even said it, we, uh, we talked about it you know, privately, that he's removed it from his DVR because whether it's the roster, you just don't relate to them anymore. Whether it's the stories aren't going anywhere. It's the same stuff every week. How many times can you repair the same guys in the same matches each and every week? They're not even trading tit for tat because they've already done everything there is to do. There's just no repetitive. But did you ever think, especially 20 years ago, that you would sit here and say those words that oh never never no no because you know what it is, bro. Here's what it comes down to. And, bro, listen, I say this all the time. It's not the talent. When, when I rip the show, I'm not ripping the talent. Bro, granted, I'll be honest. I think there's some talent that have no business being on that roster. They have no business being on TV. They're not freaking stars. I will say that, but I will also say, while they're on TV, they're busting their ass. They're not going through the motions. It, it, it's not, like I said, bro, the fact that they're on the show, that's not their fault. That, that's Triple H's fault and Vince McMahon's fault. And, and who, whoever is deciding that half of these guys are TV stars. 
But once they're on the show, they bust their ass. So it's not it's not the performance of the guys. It, 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 it's the it's the creative, bro. And and that goes with any television show. And and what I do here's what I say after every show on Monday night. I sit there, you know, and I think of Vince McMahon, and I say, bro, where is your pride? Do, do you not have any freaking pride left? Because all I know is I do podcasting now, and I handle every one of my shows. I'm on five days a week. I handle every one of my shows as if I was still writing Raw back in 1999 because it's me and it's got my name on it, and I am gonna do. I am gonna do, give the best performance I possibly can. I watch that show on Monday night, and I'm like, where, where is your pride? Because there is no way that those guys, Triple H, Vince, Stephanie, Road Dog, line them up. There is no way that those guys can look at and walk away from it saying, "Yep." We, we put on the best show we can tonight. There is no way they can say that. And if they are convincing each other of that, they're freaking liars. So that's the thing that's disappointing to me. We took such pride during the attitude of me, me and Ed Ferrara agonized over every script and every show. And we wanted this week's show to be better than, than last week's show. And we put every ounce of, of, of life we had in those shows. Today, they don't give a crap. They just don't give a crap. And, and, and then, and then it, it, just, it drives me crazy that the WWE freaking marks will, will defend that no matter how bad it gets. Guys, I, I am a lifelong San Francisco Giants fan. My, my father was a fan from the polo grounds, so that's how I grew up to be a Giants fan. He was a New York Giants fan. The Giants lost 98 games last year. I stopped watching them in May, and I, I, I can say as a Giants fan my whole life, they sucked last year. The Giants absolutely sucked, but yet you'll have these WWE marks Sit there and argue with me that I'm bitter and the show is good. The show is good. Look at the freaking numbers, bro. So, somehow they've magically turned the show from 8 million viewers into 2.5 million viewers. There's a reason for that. The show sucks. Yeah, and that's their WWE universe, Vince, of course. You know that. But the WWE fans are trying to make it like it's something special, and they're trying to put these guys on these pedestals that back in 98, 99, during the Attitude Era, if it was the opening match, if it was the middle of the card, or if it was Steve Austin and The Undertaker and Kane and The Rock and Triple H in the main event, everything meant something. And we could take a guy like Al Snow or a D'Lo Brown and be invested in their stories, in their, their angles, because it wasn't just what the writing was. The performers were interesting, and the product was hot. Now it's the fans that are trying to make the performers interesting and the product hot, but it is literally like a simmering pile of dog dew that's literally on the bottom of your shoe. And there's no I, – I personally don't see any hope. Do you see any hope for anything in the near oh, future? No. With bro, 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 here's the problem in a nutshell. And this is the problem with wrestling across the board. 
Okay, bro? Because of politics, and that's all it's about. It's all about, bro, ego. And because of ego, politics, and power, they have, they have people in key positions that have no reason being there. Bro, you know, you know how like every other company, if you work for an Apple or, you know, you work for, uh, you know, a, a Chevrolet, I mean, any company in the world, okay, every company, they want to hire the best people to make their company better. That, that's how companies become better. You, you, you know, you, uh, you, know you, you, you look at kids graduating out of college. You look at people that are out there with experience. You're always looking for better people to make you better. Bro, wrestling is the complete opposite. There's inadequate people in key positions that got there because of politics and if you're on the outside looking in and you have any kind of talent whatsoever, bro, they will do anything in their power to keep you away. They will bury you. Uh, they, they will start campaigns online. They will smear your name. They will lie about you. They will make crap up about you. Anybody that's better than them, they, 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 they just destroy because they're protecting their spots. And when somebody comes in that's better than them, all of a sudden they're exposed. So, no, bro, they, they, there is no light at the end of the rainbow. They, they don't have the right people working there, and they don't have the right people doing the key jobs, and that's evident every time you watch one of their shows. And obviously, you know, you said with Vince, I mean, you're, you know, the pride that he must not really have anymore. But is it, is the support staff just as, you know, vital to the operation because they're going to just, are they saying yes to whatever Vince wants still? Or is, do you think anybody's going to be objecting to, obviously, just this downtrodden uh, television show every week? Do you think anybody's saying no to him or are you still getting all the yeses? Bro, you want to know something that makes no sense. Oh, bro, all, all these clowns. They're all writing to please Vince. They're all they're all writing uh, to please a 72 year old man. Uh, unfortunately, bro, 72 year old men are not your audience. Bro, do you know how many times I had yelling matches with Vince? Bro, I, I will never forget, bro. In in his car, I don't remember what year it was. You guys can look this up. I will never forget, bro. There was a SummerSlam in Madison Square Garden, and, the, and it was, you know, ACD say hi, hi, I would help. And I'll never forget, bro, the main event was Taker and Austin. And, bro, Taker and Austin were really good friends. And they wanted to go into that match at Madison Square Garden. They, they wanted to make it a baby face match because as a shoot, they were very close. I remember getting in a yelling match with Vince McMahon. And, bro, let's face it, Taker and, and Austin were the top guys, and they earned that spot, so Vince wanted to make them happy. I, I understand that. I remember getting in a yelling match with Vince saying, Vince, especially New York, Madison Square Garden, People do not want to see a babyface match between Austin and Taker. They want to see these guys freaking kill each other. This is 
freaking New York City, bro. This isn't Wisconsin. And I remember yelling, yelling at him, bro, you know, in his freaking car. And, I mean, the end of that story is they had their baby face match. There was no response, and both guys knew why. But th- that doesn't matter. But But my point is, bro, I got away with that stuff because at the end of the day, Vince knew my passion. And he knew Vince Russo wasn't about power and ego and money and all that crap. He, he was about making the show the best it absolutely could be. Vince knew that. If he didn't know that, bro, you know how many times he would have freaking fired me? But he knew. He knew what my agenda was. And he knew where my heart was. And, and it was always in the show being the best it could be. But, but again, bro, today it's all about protecting your spot, making sure you're safe. Let's write something Vince will like. And, oh, my God, bro, it's, it's just it's freaking horrible. I was at Highway to Hell, SummerSlam 98. Good show, but you're right about as far as the, the baby face match in the main event. But as far as you and Ed and writing, I actually, a couple of years ago, had the privilege of taking an Ed Ferrara writing class. I actually took two classes. It was two days in a row. Good stuff. So I was really interested, and I want to know from you especially, what is that process like when you're writing with Ed and Vince McMahon? And, you know, you're butting heads a little bit, but what is that whole process like? Are you guys giving him a lot of ideas? Is he giving you ideas? What's the back and forth between you, Ed, and Vince McMahon? Bro, he, here's how it works. Ed and I would get together. Ed and I would write the entire show, everything in the show, everything, bro. We would write the script. And when we were writing the script, we were always very aware of what, what Vince would poke holes in. So we, we always had our, our, um, our um, I don't want to say arguments, but we always, you know, we, we, we always knew the answer to holes that he was going to potentially poke in it. That, that's how well we knew him. So we would write the entire script. After we were done writing the entire script, bro, we would then go to his house and we literally would present the entire script to him, you know, from segment one, all the way to the end, we would walk him through the script. And that's when, you know, if, you know, he would, you know, I, I mean, th- th- you know, that, that's where he would ask questions, you know, you poke holes here and poke holes there and this, that, and the other thing. Okay, bro, look at this, look at the show through a microscope. Okay. But bro, here's the bottom line. And, and, and this is where, you know, again, bro, people that want to be my critics, they have their agendas. You know, Dave Meltzer wants people to look at me a certain way. Wade Keller wants people to look at me a certain way. And I always, bro, give credit where credit is due. And you, you've been hearing since the beginning of time, even though none of these people present in a creative meeting, and the only ones that were present were me, Ed, and, and Vince, they will all tell you, oh, yeah, Russo was successful because Vince was the filter. Well, first of all, the same Vince McMahon is there today, and the show sucks. So if, if, explain that to me. If, if Vince is this great filter, why is today's show horrible? Bro, he, he is the genius of Vince, 
and I have no problem saying this. Ed and I would agonize over the show. Write the best show we possibly could because our goal was we're not going to let him poke one hole in this show. He's not going to find one hole in this show. So we would write the show. Bro, Vince would never, never change big picture. Never. He would never change a segment. He would never change a match. Never. He would look at our script because he knew how thorough he was. But, bro, here's the genius of this. He would freaking pull little things out of our show. He would call them nuances, bro. He would just, he had a way of seeing everything, visualizing it in his mind. And he would pull out these little things, bro, these little nuances, make these little tweaks. And, and if Ed and I wrote a nine, Vince McMahon had a way of making it a 10. And Ed and I used to sit there. And, bro, if you interviewed Ed, Ed's a hell of a lot more intelligent than I am. We used to sit there and we were like, why didn't we see that? <laughs> you know, we used to get so pissed at ourselves. But he always made every show better. You give that guy a blank sheet of paper and ask him to write a show, good luck with that. He can't do that. That's not his forte. And that's why you see the crap on TV that you're seeing today. Because he is involved much more in the show than he was involved in it back then. It's very interesting that people say, you know, the filter and this and that, and obviously what people see the writing today. But as far as, you know, you and the writing and back then, when you're creating, let's say, two great angles, possibly two of the best ever, in Undertaker versus Kane and Steve Austin versus Vince, is that something that you guys are creating the concept for beginning to end? Or is there just kind of a beginning and you're sculpting the end with Vince? Bro, we're not sculpting anything with Vince. Vince is not involved in that process. That, 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 that's me and Ed. Bro, here's how it would work. We would know what we had from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. That, that's it. So, like, if, if, if we were if – it, if it was the December pay-per-view – and then we had to start the next round of TVs, we knew what the January pay-per-view was. So we knew what we had to build to to get to that next pay-per-view. Bro, we used to go week to week. And, and how we used to do it, bro, simply is we used to put ourselves in the boots of the performer. Okay, if, if this happened to Steve Austin in week one, Go, going off the air, this was the cliffhanger, and this happened to Austin in week one. What would Steve Austin do the next week? What would The Rock do the next week? What would Taker do next week? We put ourselves in the shoes of the performer, and every, every character would act differently under the same set of circumstances. They would all act differently. So that's, that's how we wrote it. Like We knew the psyche. We knew what was in the mind of Taker and Kane and Rock. We knew their personalities, bro. We knew them inside and out. Bro, look at today's show. 
okay, uh, uh, um, Seth Rollins is the architect. What, what does that mean, bro? Like, like what, what, what do we know about Seth Rollins? All Seth Rollins is is a wrestler. That's all he is. The architect means nothing. Uh, 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 Dean Ambrose. Lunatic fringe. What does that mean, bro? He doesn't do anything on the show that makes him a lunatic. He, he dies through the second rope, and so does everybody else. Just because you give somebody a moniker, you know, uh, uh, Oscar, the, the Empress of Tomorrow, what does that freaking mean? And, and that's, that's what they think. We're going to give them a moniker. We're going to call Kevin Owens the prize fighter, and that's going to be his character. No, bro, you have to make characters. You've got to do vignettes. You've got to let them interact with other people. You've got to define their freaking personalities. You, you can't say Dean, uh, you know, Seth Rollins is an architect and, okay, that's his character. Because what happens is, bro, now all everybody is is a wrestler on the show. That, that's all they are. They don't have personalities. We don't know anything about them. And that's the difference between now and then. You know, and, and again, bro, give Vince McMahon all the credit. Give, give him all the credit in the world for the attitude he ever. Russo and Ferrara did nothing. Fine. Why does today's product suck that? The same guy's there. The same freaking guy is there. Why is it horrible? That is a, a great point, and it's definitely not like it was back in the day. I mean, Kevin Owens as a prize fighter is pretty laughable. Uh, Seth Rollins as the architect is a little strange. Dean Ambrose as a lunatic fringe is hysterical because he's just like a uh, James Dean almost wannabe like loser. But um, Undertaker, Kane, Steve Austin – these guys are larger than life. Do you think that that's a huge part that they're really missing to actually make these guys and invest in their character and really make them into something bigger than they currently are? Oh, absolutely, bro. Absolutely, man. And, and like, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Bro, it didn't matter who it was on the roster. You know, I mean, you, you know, like you said, I mean, I think you brought up D'Lo and Al Snow and X-Pac and guys like this. You know, it was our job to help make them stars, bro. I mean, that, that was our job. They were on television. We had to make them television stars. Bro, here's the perfect example. And if you guys go back to the Attitude Era, you'll remember this. Bro, do you remember when Mark Hendry took China out on the date? Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay, bro, I can vividly remember that episode. Let me tell you what happened in that episode, bro. I can remember D'Lo showed up as the chauffeur, you know, when he dressed as the chauffeur. I, I can remember the exchange between D'Lo and Mark Henry. I can remember going to the bar. I can remember the anticipation in Mark Henry when China shows up. I can remember, you know, those guys making a snide remark at China. I can remember the fight. Bro, you got a whole mini movie. In one episode, one episode, bro, you got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Bro, the last three weeks, they're doing this storyline with Enzo, between Enzo and Nia Jax. Okay, bro? We, now, this is over three weeks. 
Week one, Nia Jax goes up to Enzo and basically says, how you, how, how you doing? That's week one. Week two, Nia Jax goes up and says something else. Okay? Week three, Nia Jax goes up to Enzo and says, uh, you know, you know uh, maybe, maybe we'll talk sometime later on. That was three weeks of programming where absolutely nothing happened. Nothing freaking happened in three weeks. In one freaking week, we cut an entire Mark Henry China story, a, a movie. But it, was, it was a miniseries in one freaking week. That tells you right there they don't have the ability or the talent. I'm talking about creative talent. They don't have the creative talent to do that. Bray Wyatt and, and, and Matt Hardy now, three weeks in a row, they've cut promos. That's all they've done. They've cut promos. That, that's telling you there is a lack of talent. There, it, the, the creative is just not there. When you were writing and, and you're kind of doing things, you always hear stories, whether it be from Goldust, from The Rock, or Steve Austin, whatever, that you would basically work with them one-on-one, and you want to learn as much as you can about them. And even especially with Goldust, it was like you guys kind of shooting off ideas and going back and forth. Do you think that the the writers today are meeting with these guys one-on-one and trying to develop some chemistry with them, or no? No, and you want to know why? Yes. You want to know why? The writers are marked. The writers are marks for the talent, and I guarantee you 90% of them are even afraid to approach the talent and have a conversation. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the girls, it, it, one of the current workers in the WWE told me that one of the head writers freaking follows Alexa Bliss around like a little puppy dog. This is a talent on the roster who told me that. So they're young and they're, they're marked and they're marked for the talent. You've got to understand, me and Ed were in our 30s, bro. <laughs> when we were writing that show, we were in our 30s. We were adults. We were writers. We, we, I wasn't a mark for The Rock. I wasn't a mark for Austin. I was their peer. So when, when, when we sat down with them, we were, we were doing a television show. We were writing the show. They were the actors in the show. And, and of course, you've got to collaborate with them in order to put out the best product you possibly can. But that's the difference. Ed and I were not children. We were not wrestling marks. We were professionals, and our job was to write a show. They were the actors in the show. That's why we worked so closely with them. That's why we had the relationship that we had with them. You got to love, though, how you kind of, you know, you were the magazine writer, you were Vic Venom, you're moving your way up, you get put on the creative team, then you're the, the head writer. But you got to love that you're not, quote unquote, not a mark, and you're, and you're really working with these guys. And I think that goes a long way because when you hear guys like Austin or The Rock or even Mick Foley now, they have a lot of respect for you because you were trying to generally help their character in the show, but you're trying to build chemistry and, and you're trying to, to build relationships. And I really think that went a long way with a lot of those guys and it really furthered them, them on that level. It really brings not only the show, 
but the character to that next level. Bro, do you want to hear something funny? He, 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 here's another misnomer, bro. And like, like I said, bro, these freaking Meltzes and these Kellys and all these jack-offs, I beg them to come on my show. Because these guys have been talking behind my back and burying me for years. I beg them to come on the show because so much of it is logic. When you think of so much of it, it's logic. Bro, here's what I get all the time, too. And and, and think about this for a second, okay? That's why nobody wants to come on my show, bro, because I'm logical. And I'll break it down for you, and I will make you understand, and then you'll say, oh, yeah, okay, he's right. Bro, here's another thing I get from those guys all the time. The only reason Russo was successful was because of the talent he was working with. So, in other words, I was successful because, you know, I had The Rock and Sean and and, and Austin and Taker and Kane and all these superstars. That was the only reason I was successful. Bro, let's look at that for a second. Okay, bro, I worked with all these guys that were, like, not even arguably, they were the best in the business. You know, I, I say to this day, bro, Shawn Michaels is the, was the greatest wrestler that I ever worked with. You know, and I believe these guys were the best in the business. They were, you know, every guy was freaking, you know, Willie Mays. They, they were all superstars. Let's think about that for a second, bro. These guys are all superstars, but guess what, bro? As the writers of the show, Ed and I had to give the superstars material every week. Austin didn't write the show. Rock didn't write the show. Taker didn't write the show. We had to give them material every week and material that was going to continue to build them. Steve Austin could not walk in a building, and, and, and I could not hand him a crappy script. Like, are you freaking kidding me? I had to hand Austin something that was better than last week's show because he was at such a height, we didn't want him coming down the ladder we wanted to keep building him up. Do you know how hard that is, bro? Do you know how hard when you have talent that is so great and you've got to continue to write material that is going to match their talent? That's why I say, bro, the, the greatest comparison I, I, I can make is this. It's this simple. Robert De Niro's a great actor, right? Robert De Niro was great in, you know, The Godfather 2 Casino, you know, Goodfellas, you know, the, the Raging Bull. The list goes on and on and on. But, but Robert De Niro also made Rocky and Bullwinkle. No matter how great your talent is, they're only going to be as good as their material. And, bro, that's what you're seeing in the WWE right now. Bro, I sit here and I watch this show. And I salivate at some of the talents I wish I could be writing for. And here's the problem, bro. Some of the talent on that show far exceeds the capability of the freaking writers. 
So the writers are not writing to the level of the character. The characters have to bring themselves down to the level of the writers. Bro, there is no reason in the world Bray Wyatt should not be Undertaker status today. No reason in the world. The guy is freaking brilliant. Brilliant. Bro, the guy should be in movies. That's how good he is. Here's the problem, bro. Bray Wyatt can be as brilliant as they come. If they give him crap every week, there's not much he's going to be able to do with it. The same goes for Roman Reigns. The same goes for Elias Sampson. The list goes on and on and on. I don't care how good these guys are. If you give them crap on a weekly basis, they're not going to be able to do much with it. Is there anybody on the current roster, like you're saying, like you would love to write for besides Bray? Is, and maybe Elias and maybe Reigns. Is there anybody else that really sticks out to you? Like, wait, man, this guy is totally being misused. God, bro. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, I mean, those, those three guys really stick out. Like, I, I love a lot. I, I love Enzo. I, I, I think Enzo is great. I think Enzo's a great performer. Um, bro, there's, there's a lot of guys like I like on the roster. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of drawing a blank now, but. I mean, bro, every single – and listen, there's a lot of guys I'm not a fan of. I'm not a Kevin Owens fan. I'm not a Sami Zayn fan. I'm not a Finn Balor fan. Yeah, bro, I'm not a fan of guys that look like my next-door neighbor. I just don't think if – prof- if you're a professional wrestler, bro, and that's what you do for a living, and you're on my television screen, I don't want you looking like my next-door neighbor. I want you to look like a star. So there are a lot of guys that I'm not fans of. But like I said, bro, even Ambrose. Yeah, I, I mean, bro, I worked with Brian Pillman. Dean Ambrose is trying to be Brian Pillman. The only problem is, bro, they're not giving him the material. I mean, you know, maybe Seth Rollins could be as popular as a Shawn Michaels. They're not giving him the material. So, I mean, my God, bro, all the girls. I mean, bro, Sasha Banks is the boss. What does that mean? Have we ever seen one single vignette where she's bossing anybody around? So, like, it's almost like, bro, you can go up and down the list. Every, Every one of the talents on that show can be elevated with the right creative behind them. One thing I had to ask you about writing and stuff, when you're actually creating in a writing style, like you and Ed created Crash TV, was that something that you always had in mind and always felt, especially during the Attitude Era, especially during that time period in the world where it worked perfectly, creating Crash TV, is, is that something that you were always thinking of or is that something that came to you while you kind of became the head writer in the WWF? Yeah, bro, that, that's, a great, right, that, that's a great question. And basically where Crash TV came from, bro, it's real simple. And, and bro, there, there's no reason in the world that they should not instill this same freaking, uh, you know, work ethic. To, they, they, if they instilled this today, the show would go from a 1 to, to a 10 overnight. Where Crash TV came from, bro, is, we were going head-to-head with Monday Nitro. 
So the way Ed and I wrote the show is you had a television, you had, you had a wrestling fan sitting in front of their television set on Monday night, and they had a choice between Nitro and Raw. And now they flipped over to Raw, and they're watching Raw, and they're begging you to give them an opportunity, give them a reason, give them a low, give them the opportunity to tune over to the other show. And, bro, and, and knowing that if they tune over to the other show and there's something good going on there, they may never come back. So Ed and I literally wrote that show like the wrestling fan was sitting in front of his TV on Monday night. He had that remote control in his hand, and he's begging you, let me flip over to see what's going on on Nitro. That's where Crash TV came from. And you know what, bro? There is no reason in the world that that should not be the same psychology today. Re- replace Monday Night Football with, with Nitro. Okay, bro, g- 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 just give me the chance. Just be boring for a second so I can go over and see what's going on at the football game. It should be the exact same psychology today. Crash TV became immensely popular, obviously, with the Attitude Era. Do you feel like you know, being more edgy than Nitro, obviously maybe a little bit more adult-oriented, a little bit more profanity. As me and Chad, as we're growing up, we kind of adapted that because we're growing up and we're liking the middle finger. We're liking all this other stuff. You think that was a perfect mix, Crash TV, with a little bit more of the adult-oriented stuff? Yeah, bro, but you know what, bro? You can go back and look at, at my early shows with Ed. They were the same rating as the shows are today. Um, our, our early shows, you can go back and look at them. And, bro, we were doing things that, that fell under the umbrella of PG. Bro, they're nowhere, they're nowhere close to the bar. They, they, they don't even know, what, you know what, what they're allowed to do and what they can't do. Bro, that, that's, the problem isn't the rating. That, that, that is not – that's the least of their problems. There's so much more, bro, they could do that they're not doing. They're nowhere close, uh, you know, to the bar or whatever it is. If it's PG these days, whatever the heck it is, they're nowhere close to it, bro. And, again, go back and look at some of our early shows that had the same rating and see what we were doing on those shows. Great. uh, Yeah, some of the best. Yeah. Now, as as far as you know, you in, in the WWF, I knew obviously it was a huge success, but I just had to mention the fact that you end up leaving and you go to WCW, and you know, quote unquote, you know, the success wasn't that good, and, and you were a little bit down um, as far as the numbers and everything. Not to be on the negative side, but what do you think it was wrong as far as yourself in WCW versus yourself in the bro, WWF? That's, well, well, bro, again, again, bro, that's the narrative. Go look at the numbers. Go look at the numbers, and you're going to see a different story. Bro, the last show that the WCW had before Ed Ferrara and myself arrived was a 2.5. And, and I believe it was the show where Bret Hart and Chris Benoit had like a three-segment match. I believe that was the last one. 
That show did a 2.5. Ed Ferrara and myself came in. We knew both. The product was so broken at that point. The WWE was kicking its backside. Ed Ferrara and myself knew we, we've got to break down this foundation. We've got to break it down so we could rebuild. We knew that. That was the plan. And we also knew it was going to take time to do that. Now, bro, the numbers are there for anybody to go look at. And also, bro, keep in mind, a lot of these shows at the beginning were three-hour shows. In three months, bro, we went from a 2-5 to a 3-5. That's documented. That, that's not Vince Russo making that up. The, I, I would not say that knowing the numbers are out there. Anybody can research it. We went from a 2.5 to a 3.5 in the first three months. We were breaking down the foundation slowly but surely, building it back up. Then, of course, politics came into play. Uh, they wanted me to be part of a committee. I said, nope, that's not what my contract says. Thank you. I'm going home. Just continue to send me my checks. So I went home. Okay, bro? Three months later, they were right back down to that 2.5. So Ed and I took it from a 2.5 to a 3.5. In three months, three months later, they went from a 3.5 to a 2.5. Bro, when they called me to go back, okay, I knew we lost them. I, 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 I knew we, we lost them. We had them, bro. We had them in those first three months. We had them. We increased the, 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 in three months. We increased at one whole rating point. We had them in the next three months. They lost them. It was a completely different product. When I went back, I knew we weren't going to get them back. It doesn't work that way. They already gave us a chance and they lost them. And I knew damn well when I went back, we're not going to get them back. I don't look at WCW as a failure whatsoever. I look at those first three months. I look at the shows. I'm very proud of what, what, what we accomplished. We did exactly what we said we were going to do. They effed it up. Vince Russo didn't eff it up. They effed it up. Then people want to put behind that my failure at TNA. Oh, this was a failure at TNA. You know, I hate to break everybody's bubble. Go look at the freaking numbers. TNA was drawing over 2 million viewers at one point. 2 million viewers. TNA is now doing about not even 200 thousand viewers and vince russo was a failure at tna do you know what tna would do today for two million viewers are you and and again it's almost like even you guys bought into the narrative look the numbers are out there for everybody to see there is no way i would be able to say the stuff i'm saying with the numbers out there if it wasn't true. So we, we, we went into WCW 
In those three months, we did exactly what we said we were going to do. I was very pleased and happy where, where we were. Po- again, politics, bro. You know, politics, the, the, the old guys, the old guard didn't like the fact that I was trying to get over the, the Guerreras and the Benoits and the Malencos and the Mysterios. So they went to management and they did their, their, their magic. And the next thing you know, Vince Russo was sitting home and they go right back to where they started before we even got there. So pe- people can put whatever spin on it they want. I, I, I see myself very successful at WCW. And God knows what we would have been able to accomplish if they would have left us alone. And the one thing about history is you can't change it. And we do a podcast every week with uh, the franchise, Shane Douglas. So obviously, you know where I'm going to go with WCW in 99. And somebody online just said this to you uh, in some of a negative light. But here we are. It's 20 years later. We're still talking about angles that you did, Vince, in WCW. Whether they were good, bad, or whatever. We're still talking about it. Exactly. Uh, Bro, I swear to God. People think when they tell me about David Arquette, like that's an insult to me. Bro, it was freaking 20 years ago, and you're still talking. Do you? I wrote something that you're talking about 20 years ago? Bro, by tomorrow, we, we won't remember what happened on Raw last night. By tomorrow, we'll forget what happened on Raw last night. And, and that, that's what makes me laugh. You think that's an insult to me? that you're bringing up David Arquette and you're bringing up pole matches and you're still talking about my work from 20 years ago? You think that insults me? Are you out of your freaking mind? Yeah, and one thing Shane has always said uh, to us is that like me or hate me and you're talking about me, you're still talking about me. So that Viagra on a pole match, we received dozens of questions about it. So it, even though it might have yep. been goofy, it might have been funny, it might have been a little out there, people are still talking about it 20 years ago. Viagra's not even the main enhancement drug anymore. We're still talking about it. Bro, look, bro, look, look at the movie. Bro, freaking. Bro, look at the movie The Room. Okay? It's supposed to be the worst made movie of all freaking time. James Franco sees the movie, falls in love with it. Bro, do you know when The, the Room came out, okay, bro, it cost, it cost $6 million. All right, bro? The first weekend in 2003, I think it was, bro, the first weekend the movie made 1800 bucks. Okay, bro? <laughs> All of a sudden, it starts word of mouth how bad this movie is. You've got to see this movie. It's so bad. Word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. All of a sudden, bro, it turns into the Rocky Horror Picture Show where they're playing it at midnight showings. All of a sudden, James Franco sees this movie, falls in love with it, buys the rights to a book that's about the movie. Bro, now the movie costs $6 million. The very first weekend, it made $1,800. Now, 14 years later, the guy has, you know, has... um superseded the six million the movie is profitable today and and they just made a movie on the worst movie that was made 14 years ago you you don't think that that jabron isn't laughing all the way to the bank and 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 that's the part that makes me laugh you're 
you, you think you're taking digs at me with Viagra and Judy Bagwell and this and that. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me, bro? Like, that happened 20 years ago, and you're still talking about it? What, what, what are we talking about from today's programming? What, what, what are we just, bro, what are we going to be talking about 20 years from now on, on today's show? What are we going to be talking about? Jason Jordan? That <laughs> <laughs> is Kurt Angle's son, Vince. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> so I got to ask this because, yeah, we could talk about Judy Bagwell on a poll, Viagra on a poll, David Arquette, all the same, the greatest hits, but I'd love to know and I don't know if you've ever revealed this before, but is there some kind of stipulation match that you wanted to use that never made it to air? Is there anything in the mind of Vince Russo that could have seen light in that WCW era that we did not get a chance to see? No, not really. Bro, like, my, my, my greatest failure could have been my – I envisioned it as my greatest victory. And it was far and away my greatest failure. Um, and, and I don't have a problem with Well, people don't understand. When you're writing two shows a week, do, do the math, bro. That's 104 shows a year. Add to that 12 pay-per-views. When you're doing 116 shows a year, guess what, bro? Everything isn't going to be great. I, I mean, it's, it's bro, you know, again, baseball plays. If you have a 300 average, you're a superstar. That means you're getting three hits every ten times you're up. Okay, I, I mean, it, 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 do the math. I had I had the concept for the um, for the dog kennel from Hell Match. Okay, bro, and the concept was we were supposed to have these vicious freaking attack dogs circling the ring, going freaking crazy, salvating showing their teeth. I mean, and the wrestlers were supposed to be scared to death of getting thrown to the outside of this ring to be fed to these vicious dogs. Well, bro, that was the idea in my mind, the visual, never been done before. That would be a great freaking visual. Well, bro, when I showed up that day and I was introduced to the dogs, the, the, the minute they started licking my hand, I knew there was going to be a problem. And, and, and so they put these dogs around ringside. Bro, these dogs might as well have been your freaking household pets. They, they did nothing. They, they, they were dead. And, and I was like, oh, like this absolutely sucks. So, like, that, that, that was the one where, like, I really, really envisioned it to be something, and it was just the total opposite. As we hit the wind-down button, we start to wind it down. You've done so many great things in your career as far as the attitude they were creating, great characters, getting Sable supremely over, getting Goldust over, Austin versus Vince. Taker versus Kane, but do you have a favorite storyline or maybe a favorite angle or something that you've written? Is it possible to narrow it down to maybe a couple favorites? Uh, no, bro, it, it's one. I, I mean, it's one. And, and the reason why it's the one is because it, it was the art of writing to a level you, you'd never seen before and you will never, ever see again. 
And, and again, bro, it was as much as Ed. It was, it was me and Ed. I wasn't. I, I could not have done it without Ed. It, it, it was the both of us together, just being, you know, focused and and zeroing in, bro. When when Rock joined the corporation, and Ed Ferrara and myself, three months in advance, bro, we started dropping little hints. When you go back now. Look at the three months before Rock turned and joined the corporation, and you will sit there and say, holy crap, why didn't we see this? Why didn't we see that? Why didn't we pick up? It was, I swear to God, bro, it was, it was the closest thing to like a Stephen King novel that we ever wrote, and it was so meticulous and so well-planned, and here's how you know it was so well-planned, bro. I was in the arena, of course, the night that it happened. And when Rock turned heel and joined the corporation, bro, there was that five seconds of silence in, in the entire house. 10,000 people, bro. You could have heard a pin drop. It took those people that long for it to sink in, and then it was kind of like, holy shit, Rock just turned heel. Bro, you, you will never, ever, ever, ever see a story like that in professional wrestling again, ever. That was awesome, and I remember at the time being obsessed with it, being a, I guess I was 16 or so, but I was obsessed with it. Like, man, that, that was so well done, so great how you kind of – set it up and it kind of had the long play to it and you finally had that really bro, good wrestling bro, rival for all bro, bro you want to hear something funny about that a little side note about that story i'll never forget but bro this is what i mean about building things up and building things up bro we we us and the rock you know the combination of the two bro the people's elbow was kind of built up when rock delivered the people's elbow like he might as well have shot his opponent right in the head right bro so we're, we're <laughs> getting down yeah we're getting close to the pay-per-view we're like bro it's like the week before like you know and ed and i are writing the tv and we write that rock is going to you know rock's going to drop the people's elbow on vince mcmahon this is the week before bro the big payoff so, bro, in my mind, even in my mind, it's like, bro, we, we've, we've built this people's elbow like, like you know, Rock is going to kill somebody. And I remember looking at Ed and saying, oh, Ed, you know, I don't know, bro. I mean, I mean, will that kill us? So, I mean, can he, you know, I mean, if he drops the people's elbow on Vince, he can't drop the people's elbow on Vince. And, bro, Ed looked at me as cool as a cucumber, and he goes, Vince, it's an elbow. And I was like, but, bro, that's what we built it up to. Like, that, that's what we built it up to. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Rock was dropping an elbow on Vince. And th that's what I mean, bro. Like, th that's how things were built back then, where even I was saying, bro, Oh, my God, he can't. Like, there's no way. And Ed had to bring me back and say, Vince, he's dropping an elbow, bro. 
And it, but 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 that's what I mean, bro. That's the level it was at. Great, you were so invested in your own writing. I mean, that that just that shows a lot right there, and how into it you are. So the Rock must have been uh, super into it and super appreciative uh, of you and Ed at that point. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and bro, the, the, all those guys, all those guys played a great part in everything we did. I mean, all of them, bro, because. You know, we, we would bring them the idea, and then we would get them involved. And, you know, at the end of the day, with their input, you know, it, it, it was always the best that it could be. So all those guys were, were, were all heavily involved in everything they did. As far as a favorite of yours, as far as working with them, I always wanted to kind of know that question. Maybe you don't have a specific favorite, but a guy you collaborated with, well, I always think of myself, um, you and Goldust, because you came up with that crazy character, the gimmick is nuts, the concept is cool, different than anything, it's unique. Is there a guy, would it even be Goldust, am I wrong on that, that you collaborated with? No, bro, you, favorite you, to collaborate you, are with? One, you are you are 100% correct. You, you, no, no doubt about it, bro. It, it was like one of the first things I ever did. Uh, nothing comes close to it, but bro, like, let, let, let's be honest. A lot of that has to do with Dustin. I, I mean, bro, I, I don't know where where he got that from. I, I don't know where he had a dig to pull that out. But, bro, that that was probably the single most greatest, uh, you know, acting in the history, you know, of wrestling. I, I mean, bro, he was that character. And he was so good at it and believe I don't know where he channeled it from bro I really don't but it's like no matter what you know because bro I used to write all his promos and I mean Dustin was the kind of guy especially with Goldust bro I would write those promos word for word and he would go out and, and perform them but the beauty of it was bro I knew I could write anything and I knew I could get as outside of the box as I wanted to get because his performance was going to sell it and, and it was going to be believable. So I think it was the combination of having such a different cutting edge character along with a talent that just, you know, embraced it and was just, you know, absolutely spectacular in that role. And, and it was really that combination that, no doubt, bro. I mean, you know, that definitely was the one. So good and so great. And we're mentioning Goldust as far as a great character to work with, the Rock heel turn. Was there a match in your career that you wrote? Maybe even could be a match that you participated in yourself, but was there a match where you had the best payoff to the writing? Like as far as, let's say, maybe an Austin beating an HBK at WrestleMania and the crowd goes nuts. Like what was the best payoff as far as writing having the match and having the best crowd reaction. Oh, bro, that's ah, you know what, you know what was great, bro. You know, you know what was very 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 memorable Mick Foley winning the title. Because no nobody thought it was going to happen. Nobody nobody thought we put the belt on Mick Foley. Nobody. And and I think, you know, that finish and that match and the response I think it was so genuine and, you know, people in front of the camera and behind the camera 
was so happy for Mick because he was so deserving and so worthy. And, and bro, listen, let's face it. If other writers were there, maybe he would have never gotten that opportunity. Bro, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. If I wasn't at WCW, Booker T would have never been a world champion. Ever. Ever, bro. So, you know, the fact that he was deserving, he didn't look like a champion, but behind the, the, behind the curtain, the guy w- was a champion, and, and, and he was so deserving. That was probably the most rewarding payoff to me. That and Booker winning the title. Bro, book, to me, Booker T winning that WCW title, that was the most rewarding thing for me personally that, that I wrote on a television show. Because here was a guy, bro, that had been paying his dues, working hard, keeping his mouth shut, not saying a word, and was just politically getting trampled. And I knew, bro, I knew at WCW, like, when that decision was made, bro, I I knew the usual suspects uh, that were going to bury me to management. Oh, bro, you can't put the belt on Booker T and blah, 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 blah. I knew it. I knew all that stuff was coming. I didn't care. The guy freaking deserved it. And, and that moment was probably my most crowning achievement to be able to, to, to give a guy something that he had worked so hard to earn and probably would have never gotten. I did love in WCW that you gave a, a big push to Booker and a big push to Scotty Steiner. Love those two. Oh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, you know, bro, that, that, that's the thing. I, I mean, come on, man. L- look at Scott Steiner and, and look at what you're seeing on Monday Night Raw these days. I'm like, are you kidding me? You, you, you're going to put Finn Balor next to Scott Steiner? Like, in, in, what, in what world? I, I mean, it's... <laughs> I mean, you talk about you talk about how the mighty have fallen. Finn Balor, bro, it, he wouldn't even be a jobber match to Scott Steiner. I, I mean, bro, it, it, literally that would be a ten-second match for Scott Steiner. And, and this is this is a guy that they push as one of their top guys. I, I mean, you know, bro, I guess you'd consider like a Finn Balor like in a uh, in a Kurt Henning spot. Are you freaking kidding me, bro? Are you kidding me? But that's, that, 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 that's what the product has become. To. I don't know how these guys found their way to TV. Bro, let me tell you something. If Triple H is responsible with his, with his NXT and, and promoting these guys to the WWE, bro, if he's responsible, he has no judge whatsoever of what makes a star. Zero, bro. Zero. I can look at somebody. It's the it factor, bro. You can look at somebody and know they have it. And you can look at somebody and know they are never going to get over to a general audience. Not, not, the, not the marks at the NXT shows, bro. I'm talking about the world. The world stage they will never get over. And, 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 and you see it. The minute you see them, the minute you sit down and talk to them, you know 
these guys are going to be superstars or they ain't never going to get over. Bro, who who has gone up to NXT that has gotten over? To to and again, I'm not talking about to the marks, bro. If you're a wrestler, you're over to the marks. I'm talking about to the world, to to a casual fan base, to a television viewer, bro. Do you know? Do you know? The I don't want to say the Shield because I don't think Reigns was a part of it. Do you know the main event on Raw a couple of weeks ago? I think two weeks ago. It, it, it was Ambrose and um, it was Ambrose and Rollins, uh, you know. And I think it was I think it was Cesaro and Sheamus for the tag team titles. Okay, bro, that was the main event. Bro, do you know from hour one to hour three, the WWE lost seven hundred and fifty thousand viewers from the time it started to the time it ended they lost three quarters of a million viewers why because seth rollins and dean ambrose are not over they're over to the mark they're over to all those that are going to watch wrestling as long as the word is somewhere in the title but to the casual audience at home they are not over. And, that, and again, bro, I don't say crap because it's my opinion. Look at the numbers. I promise you, during the Attitude Era, I promise you we did not lose 750,000 viewers by the time we got to the main event. Unbelievable. So if a tree falls in the woods... Uh, nobody's there to hear it. I guess if a uh, title change happens on Raw in the third hour, maybe it doesn't really officially happen. I, I, I guess not. But, <laughs> but, it, but again, it's like it, it, it didn't matter. You know, the, the match didn't matter. The build didn't matter. The talent doesn't matter. And th- that's on them, man. That, they, they, they've created that, man. They, they, they had the – bro, I always go back to – I'll never forget. I, I don't know how old you guys were. I'll never forget, bro. I can remember like it was yesterday, the promos for WrestleMania. And the tagline was, WrestleMania, you know, what the world is watching. And guess what, bro? During the Attitude Era, the world was watching. And the numbers are there to show you the world was watching. They have turned the world into a niche audience. They have turned the world into 2.5 million people. And, bro, they can sit there all they want and talk about social media and other ways to watch the show and DVR and yada, yada, yada. Triple H can beat his drum all he wants. I got one question for you, Triple H. When, when, when the first showing of Game of Thrones comes on, and it's on a pay service. You pay for HBO. HBO is not free. When, when, the, when the first episode airs of the new season, how on earth are you getting 16 million viewers to watch the first airing of the show when they can watch it on social media, bro? They can watch it tomorrow, 
They could watch it on Friday. They could watch it on their iPads. They could watch it on their phones. Why are 16 million people going to their television set and watching a show that they have to pay for? Why, bro? Because it's must-see TV. And if Vince McMahon told me one thing, it was this. If it's good, they'll watch it. So you, you could make up all the excuses you want. You lost about eight and a half million people that are no longer watching simply because it's not good. Period. End of story. That is uh, extremely well said. And now as we get to wrap it up here, the last question that we love to ask is, what's your legacy in the business? But i, I got to tell you, just from what you've talked about for the last hour plus, we, we understand what your legacy is from a couple different standpoints, but i got to ask this. This is like the Barbara Walters moment of the show here. What would you say the biggest misconception is of Vince Russo? Yeah, bro. Oh, bro, bro, that's simple. Bro, you, know, you know what part of the misconception is about me? And, and, bro, listen, I, I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I, I'm really – bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't, I don't give a crap. I, that, that stuff is not important to me. But, bro, like, I wrote for characters long enough to know what gets a character over. And at the end of the day, here's what gets a character over. This, this is what gets them over. You've got to sit down with somebody. I don't care who the talent is, bro – I work for a little indie promotion here. I don't want to say I work for them. I mean, I work with them. I try to help them out. And I still do the same thing to this day. Okay, bro? Every talent I've ever written for, you've got to sit down with them, and you've got to have that first initial conversation with them. I mean, bro, I did this with Edge. I did it with Christian. I did it with Valvina. I mean, you name it. Every single guy. And, and what you're looking for, bro, is, you're trying to get to the heart of them. You know, who are they? Um, you, know, you know, how are they made up? What's important to them? Um, you know, what, what do they hang their hat on? What do they take great pride in? What separates them from everybody else? Then, bro, once you find that little nugget, you take that because it's unique to them, and you multiply it a million times over now bro here's the reason why you do that these guys are wrestlers they're not actors they're going to wrestling school they're not going to acting school so basically you've got to find something in them that's very real so when they go out and they portray that you magnify it a million times over and people believe it. They're not acting because it's real to them. Okay? That's the key to getting a character over. With that said, bro, when they started putting so much freaking pressure on me to get ratings at WCW, bro, I never wanted to be a character on TV. I never had an, uh, any intention of being a character on TV. Me being a character on TV, bro, it started at the WWE. I'll tell you how it started, bro. They just started that show on Saturday mornings, Livewire. 
Bro, this is the God honest truth. So I watched Livewire. Bro, I thought the show sucked and was atrocious. Okay? I watched it the first week. Bro, I swear to you, the next week it was a Friday. Livewire was shot live on Saturday. Bro, I went in Vince's office and I said to him, flat out, I said, Vince, that show sucks. I, I said, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but the show freaking sucks. Okay, bro? Bro, I swear to you, Vince McMahon looked at me, and he goes, you think you could do better? Bro, with, 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 without even thinking, I said, yeah. I said, I know, I know I could do better. I said, the show sucks. Bro, Vince turned around to me, and he said, okay, you show up at the studio tomorrow morning. We're going to put you on the show. I said, okay, no, no problem. Bro, I, do you think I thought Vince was going to say that? But I, I sure as hell wasn't going to back down. So I said, okay, no problem. Bro, we did the show the next day, the very next day, freaking live. We rehearsed nothing. I, I took on the Vic Venom persona, and I dressed down, you know, Michael Hayes, Jim Cornette, Vince McMahon, the whole freaking nine yards. Okay? Now, bro, fast forward to WCW. I, I did nothing else on TV at the WWE. That's it. I did nothing else. Fast forward to WCW, bro. They're putting so much freaking pressure on me because they want ratings overnight. So I literally said to myself, you want ratings overnight? Fine. No problem. I'll go out there and I'll freaking do it myself. That, that's what I said. M- my job was on the line, bro. I wasn't going to depend on anybody else. I, I wasn't going to depend on these guys making huge salaries, and a lot of them didn't give a shit. So I said, okay, fine. I'll, you want ratings? I'll go out there and do it myself. So, bro, what did I do? I, I did exactly what I did with every character I wrote for. People freaking hate New Yorkers. People, people in their minds have stereotyped New Yorkers. New Yorkers are a certain way. They're brash. They're rude. They're arrogant. They're conceited. If you don't live in New York, bro, you freaking hate New Yorkers. So I said, you know what, bro? I'm going to give the people exactly what they want. I am going to be the New Yorker that everybody wants the New Yorker to be because we hate people from New York. And, bro, I went out there, and I was that guy. Okay? Bro, that, that's not me. That, that's not who I am. That, that's nothing like what I am. I'm, I'm a, bro, I'm a, I'm a softy. I'm a baby in a lot of ways. I, I, wear, I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I freaking cry when I watch movies. That, 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 that wasn't me. I was playing somebody. I was playing the New Yorker that everybody wanted me to be. Bro, to this day, I promise you that is 90% of the reason why so many people disdain me. They disdain me because in their mind, I am still that guy. And, and, and I'm not, bro. Like, that's, that's, that's not me. I don't carry myself that way. Bro, I swear to God, I, I buried myself 
at WCW and later on at TNA. I buried myself simply because I never put on a power play. I never wanted power. I never wanted more money. I just wanted to write the television show. That's all I cared about. And those around me who were political animals buried me and were burying me because they were afraid of me and because they knew my talents. And the only way they were going to bring me down was to just freaking bury me and bury me over and over and over again until they convinced that person that I was the person that, that they wanted me to be. And, bro, I didn't fight back. I didn't fight back because my whole theory was, listen, if you want to buy their BS and you want to buy into that and you're going to believe them, bro, no problem. Get rid of me, them do the job, and let's see what happens. Bro, you know, again, with, with TNA, you can look at TNA, bro, and you can, you can look at the numbers and you can pinpoint exactly where Vince Russo left the company. You can look at those numbers and see exactly, okay, Vince rode up to this point and then Vince left. Because, bro, you look at that number and month after month after month, they started losing more and more and more audience. So that, 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 is, that is the misconception, bro. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They, 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 they don't know about Vince Russo, the son, the husband, the father, nothing. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. That was unbelievable, and that is very well said, and we appreciate all that honesty and everything that you gave us today, Vince. This has been one hell of a third year anniversary show before we wrap it up i, I gotta ask you to please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip where they can find anything and everything about the brand about vince russo and all the projects you have coming up because we didn't even get a chance to talk about arrow lucha because my god that's the buzz around that the last two weeks has been unbelievable but there's so much we could have covered but please share with the listeners where they can find anything and everything in the world of vince russo well yeah bro let me start with arrow lucha bro i i I know Ron and Don Harris since 1994, bro. I worked with them. Every place I ever worked, they worked. These are the kind of guys, bro, that have remained my friends since 1994, bro, no, no matter where I was, whether I was on top in the wrestling business, whether I wasn't working in the wrestling business, whether I was running a different business, these were the guys that, you know, we always, always, always stayed in contact. So, like, bro, there, there are not a lot of things that I want to, like, leave my house and go out and do these days. I'm, I'm completely content, you know, doing, you know, my podcasting. It was them, and I want them to be successful. I love these guys. You know, they, they, they asked me to be a part of that, and I went down to a show. And my God, bro, I, I, I can't even put into words the experience that I had at Arrow Lucha. Bro, it, it was wrestling the way it should be. And I'm talking about behind the curtain, bro. There, there, was, there was no bullshit. There was no politics. There was no egos. Nothing, bro. And, 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 and it was because it was, it was Ronnie and Donnie. And, and everybody loves them. And everybody wants those guys to be successful. And it was 
it was the greatest experience I had in wrestling. So, I mean, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for those guys that they can they can sell that, and you know that that can become a fixture. Those guys are so deserving. I definitely think they're onto it. They uh, you know they barred no expense. But aside from that, bro, I mean, every single week I've been doing it for about three years now. Monday through Friday, I'm a podcaster. Uh, I'm on Podcast One. You could see my shows on video uh, on the Realm Network. Uh, you you can go to everything through Russo'sBrand.com. And the only social media I really do is Twitter. And I'm at the Vince Russo. And um, that's about it. And and you're very active on there. Even though you've taken a break, you're you're back and you're very active. And uh, I think the wrestling fans and the ones that love to hear from you, uh, very happy about that. That's a little bit of a Christmas gift there that you gave back to the fans. Yeah, bro. I I I, I always get to the point. I, I'm just gonna be honest with you, bro. I, I I try to interact with the fans as much as I can. And bro, the reason why I do that is because I know a lot of wrestlers don't. I, I know a lot of people in the business don't take the time to talk to the fans. So I think that's very important. I'm no better than they are, bro. I don't, I don't care what I've done. So that's why I, I like to converse with them. But, bro, there's, there's just so much negativity on that platform that, like, you just get to the point of, like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to read it. And, you know, I mean, I've been to that place a few times. But, it, but again, bro, at the end of the day, it's all about business. And every time I pull myself away from social media, my numbers get affected. I, I, I can see it, man. There's a drop. So it's like, you know, listen, at the end of the day, this is business, man. I have to make a living. So if I've got to go back on there because that's what people want and, you know, I have to find a way to just put up with all the, the trolls and the marks and the keyboard work, then, then i got to figure out how to do that because at the end of the day, bro, I'm not going to hurt my business and I'm going to give the people what they want. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolutely amazing third-year anniversary and Vince, we'd love to have you back on down the road and appreciate the time today. This has been one hell of a ride uh, to speak, of course, to a former WCW champion. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, bro. I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys talking to me. Anytime, bro, I'll be happy to come back on. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.